<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the episode 1.1 of Chatter from the Cheap Seats. I'm Josh Redman, along with my co-host all the way down in lovely Midland, Texas, Brandon Luisi. Brandon, we gave this a crack last week, one week ago to the day, and the technologically impaired me, I guess you could say, it was me, 100% me, forgot to hit record, so we went through a whole stinking show, and it was just us chattering back and forth, but nonetheless, this week, all those kinks worked out, and all the bugs have gone elsewhere. I'm not on a beach, but it certainly looks like I <laughs> But all things considering talking about uh, our show, you know, we've got some ideas. This is our first episode, so we're going to try and get some guests on here. We're both play-by-play uh, uh, -play -play broadcasters by trade. You are a full-time play-by-play broadcaster. I'm a part-time play-by-play broadcaster. Nonetheless, we both are behind a microphone. So we're going to try and get some guys on here that broadcast, not necessarily hockey, but other sports uh athletes from other sports this is literally a goulash of things throughout yeah. the sports world we're going to throw our opinions around do stuff like that and then like we talked about too we may even go on and do like some youtube live shows and have people be able to come on ask questions or debate with us or anything of that nature but all of that aside playing on the show this week we're going to get to know let our fans get to know us kind of see who we are, what we do. You and I took the same broadcasting path, kind of albeit you did it at a, a younger age than I did, and I'll get to my story here momentarily, but you and I both interned very close to where I live here in Illinois with the Peoria River, the Southern Professional Hockey League. I had two different broadcasters when I was there that I interned. I interned, and then they kept asking me to come back, so I kept coming back, and then you interned for two seasons under the same broadcaster, the current voice of the Riverman that's there now, Jason Ruff. But kind of tell us, what was it like your experience interning and coming in there and learning through an organization like the Riverman that have won championships? They've been in the American League. They've been in the ECHL. They've been in the IHL. What was that like for you? And what were your expectations? And like, what was the reality part of it? Yeah, Um I was really nervous to start, you know, that internship specifically because just the the history of that organization, I, I, I knew I was getting myself into a professional hockey league organization that, you know, looking at its past had a very successful history, as you mentioned. And throughout the two seasons, you know, Jason and I would always use a phrase like just in passing, like if these walls could talk, I mean, it, the amount of talent that, you know, NHL talent even that has gone through there. I mean, if you go back and look, at um the oh i want to say it was one of the years it might have been the last ahl season or one of the last seasons of of current head coach jean guichardel there's a team picture and right next to him in the team picture is none other than ryan reeves so i mean you know it's just incredible the amount of talent that's come out of there even coaching wise as well um his head coaches have gone on to coach NHL teams. So I, I was nervous, right? And, you know, I didn't know, I kind of knew what my responsibilities were going to be. I kind of didn't, I didn't know if I was going to get a chance on the air, if I was going to get a chance just to work social media and stay behind the scenes. And I mean, the first weekend, I mean, 
it was just an absolute whirlwind of um you know nerves i it was going to be my first time on the air i was doing the social media live tweeting and then i was doing the intermission reports first ever like professional debut and i get done with the intermission report the entirety of it only with 20 second segments and you know it, it just and jason's like well you know there's always room for improvement because i left him with 10 and a half minutes left on the clock and i'm just sitting here like my bad dude i didn't i didn't really know and so um but afterwards you know i think i got to get more comfortable behind a microphone even toward the end in my second season when we we're in the playoffs i got to call a period in the playoffs which was incredible first round against pensacola jordan ernst scored a goal and that proved to be the goal that clinched the series and sent the rivermen into the second round where they eventually fell to the rail yard dogs who won the championship. Um, but looking back on the first year specifically and back toward the beginning, I was nervous to meet coach. I was nervous to meet the players. I was nervous to this, but I mean, you go in there and he makes you feel like you've been there forever. I mean, he, he treats you the same and he treats you with respect. And um, I mean, I, I, I could go down there at any point that I wanted to walk in the locker room and talk to any of the players. I could talk to Gee. Um, you know, if, if there was an assistant coach at the time, if, if Christian Hamura came or, or, or Blake even, or, or Steve and helped assistant coach, I could go and talk to him and, and we can just chit chat. Um, as long as film wasn't going on, obviously, but you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my two years there and, you know, I, I still miss it to the, I mean, I, I'm a full-time play-by-play broadcaster in the all, but I still miss those days and, and the camaraderie in the locker room. And yeah, being a full-time guy, um, I say, I, I say, I say I'm part-time, but like, I am the guy that I do. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Peoria Mustangs, the A3HL. You've moved up to the uh, North American League with the Odessa Jackalopes. We've shared a booth and a soundboard. We we've ev- we've shared everything in a press box, for the exception of a headset, because we had plenty of headsets to go around. Yeah, but uh, you you know, and you you hit the nail on the head, and you said it. I remember my first weekend, first two games, uh, Riverman season opener weekend, season opening weekend. They played the Huntsville Havoc. They lost both games, um, and. That was when they adopted it. I'm sure you heard it, whispers of it through. They had what they called Purge Mondays. Mm-hmm. And they had, uh, mm-hmm. Guy had t-shirts made that said, I survived Purge Monday. And that was their actual playoff shirts. That was something that Guy always did is when they hit the playoffs, there was always a playoff theme. Yeah, that was, that was the playoff theme that year, a t-shirt that said, I survived Purge Monday because it would be a weekend and then... Monday, sometimes Tuesday, there's the laundry list of transactions that come through. And that was one thing, I think, from going in from professional hockey and into junior hockey is transactions. Professional hockey, you see them the day of, right? A Mm. lot of times in junior hockey, you don't know because there's no transactions page. And a lot of a lot of times you don't know till you show up that somebody got traded, uh, somebody's hurt, 
somebody new came in, anything like that. It's you know the 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 junior hockey world, albeit it's a really neat and fun world. But yeah, that was one of the things as a broadcaster. It's kind of like, ooh, so you really got to be on your game and you got to leave a little bit of extra room in your notes for new guys coming in. And you may have to do some quick research and find some quick nuggets for them guys. I'll never forget it. I'm in El Paso calling a road game. And it probably was only my, within my first 10 broadcasts. And we had a goaltender at the start of the year who played for the main Nordiques last year. His name was Kale DePape. And Kale played for us, um, kind of struggled to start the year. Um, but it was it was our two goalies, Quentin Sigurdsson, who eventually went on to be our starter, and Kale DePape. And so, you know, we're in El Paso. I'm at the, at the broadcast booth, which, I mean, it's just a table, which is, it's fine because you're right next to the benches. You hear all that stuff. And... You're close to the play. You're centered. It's nice. And their guy brings me a lineup sheet. Um, and I look. And the guys are coming out for warm-ups the same time that the lineup sheet gets brought. And there's Kale DePape wearing an El Paso Rhinos jersey. And I just went, hold on. <laughs> and this is 10 minutes before air. Uh, clueless i was clueless now granted the trade happened maybe an hour and a half before uh warm-up started but i'm just like that that's the adaptability you have to have that is why for max belly who is our our backup i already had stats on him he didn't play a single game up to that point but i had stats on his on his career before that you know I, i had stats that he was born in belarus so he's one of our only, you know, non-U.S. born players. Um, he played in St. Louis and had a, like a 1.5 GAA last year. I had all that ready. Um, and and granted, I think he backed up that night, but still, you know, you, as a broadcaster, they always say you can never prepare enough. Um, and that was just, I mean, that's a case of it right there. And that is one thing. Yeah, I always remember when I was with the Riverman, and I, I would always prepare my own game notes so i went the first half from the beginning of the season to christmas and i just observed wrote game recaps took you know jotted notes down did like those quick hitter research things that happened during a game wrote them down we'll give them to the broadcaster after after we came back from the break i was on air so i did like you i did uh intermission report um out of town scoreboard and provided color commentary which is really great at that level because the Carver Arena has the video board, so they have the video replays. So after a goal scored, you kind of let the marinate, let it marinate over the crowd mic, and you know this so the folks at home can hear. And then, like you always have that luxury of looking up, rewatching the play, getting your story straight. Yeah, and then being able to deliver that. I found at this level, and obviously me being a broadcaster and so many moving parts even at the junior level so you have like i have a a guy brought in an intern and i've had to like relocate him several times to do public address because it's hard to find someone wants to do public address but like you don't have those eyes up there like you know like 
you knew where I was looking because you had done play yeah. by play. You done play by play for Bradley, and you'd done it before, so you knew where my eyes were. So you knew where your eyes were too. So, and I think that's what worked really good with the both of us. But now I'm coming to find out that like, holy shit, going solo again after two seasons of having a body up there, I was like, man. And I've actually the last two last weekend and the weekend before, I actually had uh, one of the dads. Mark Paulistina, his son yes. has played. Uh, this is his third season in Peoria, but he he kept he he kept like kind of razzing me and being like, "Hey, you know, you got my mic plugged in. You got my mic plugged in." And then I was like, "You can come up. I have headsets." And so yeah, finally, weekend before last, I was like, "He's like, you got my mic plugged in." I said, "I do." And he mm -hmm. came up and me. So yeah, it was always it's always kind of good to have that extra set of eyes that know where to look and how things develop on the ice. Because I mean, that's a thing now. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have video replay the NA three level. We don't yeah. have, a, we don't have a replay. Sorry, I do. <laughs> we, we don't have a re a video board that I can look <clears throat> up after a goal and see the play. So I've got to like etch it and well, take that snapshot immediately. And see, that's, that's what I found really weird <clears throat> about, you know, the NAHL versus the NA3, because, I mean, in, in reality, they're interconnected because we have two NA3 affiliates and, you know, you guys, some of, some of your guys feed into this, the, um, the Springfield Junior Blues and all that. So this year when the North American Hockey League had, you know, implemented the video review system. So, they walked us through the crash courses and all this good stuff of how to set up the goal line technology and um and and our AI cameras that are now running for the past month or maybe two months almost now. Um, but what I found really weird, and again, I don't know if it's just um I wouldn't say like a I don't even know what the word is, but like a weird, a weird instance is that they don't allow the video review that goes to the referee's iPads to go onto your video board. That is an automatic fine. And oh. yeah, so the, I mean, you can't even show your own video replay of like, if the play is under review, you know, you have to roll something else. You can either just keep your camera on the officials. You can keep it on your bench. You can roll your sponsors um, on your video board. You can, you know, do whatever, but you can't show the video itself of like the iPad, what the referee is seeing. If you do that, you get fined. So, so basically, it's kind of like a closed. Uh... Like surveillance footage, basically, yeah. <clears throat> so, and and we don't have that problem, if I'm not mistaken, anyway, because the way it hooks up, um, we have a camera that sits on a C stand, and we have the Ethernet port that goes from our, um, let's see, from our camera to where Zamboni entrance is, and we plug it in there, and then it's hardwired up throughout the arena they just laid a whole bunch of cable to where it can connect anywhere 
to these boxes that are behind the bench as well, along to our master, what we call our master box, um, which is behind me in the broadcast booth. So it's hundreds of feet of cable, and that's where it connects through um, to, to get its internet and to get its signal. And then the cameras are, you know, right outside your Zamboni doors and right outside the double doors on the other side of the rink. And, you know, everybody's got to set them up and take them down each game. And, you know, if there's any instance, which there's been one official that has been, in my opinion, above the rest and done a great job. Um, I don't know his first name, but he got name played Stacy. Um, anytime that there's any sort of question that he is, you know, he's not sure he initiates the review. He doesn't even let like, he doesn't even go to the coach and say, well, do you want a review? He just, he initiates it if he thinks there's a question, which I think is the way it should be done because, you know, as an official, it's your job to get the call correct. Um, and, and if you are unsure, well, I feel like if you have the technology, then why not use it? Um, rather than waiting for the coach to pull out his iPad from the bench because the iPads on the benches for the coaches are the only other source of that video. Um, so I, I personally enjoy when the official initiates the review on a questionable call, which he's done the past two weekends. So this, this, so this is the technology that's in the North American league. And I don't know if there's a similar technology in the United States league where they have a review system. But moving forward, like you were saying with the technology and using the technology, we see it in the NHL. Uh, mm. I know American League, those buildings have a goal, uh, cam a goal line camera as well. NHL obviously does. ECHL, I'm not too for certain. So you're, they do. Yeah, they have it. I was watching a couple games. It, so is this something that like you see spilling down to all levels of junior hockey, or is it something that you think might just stop at like the the like North American League level? It's hard to say. I I personally think the North American League this year was the kind of test zone. If if I had to if I had to guess, um, they wanted if and again I've been a part of the technology meetings, but you know they haven't discussed their plan for the future. Um, but I just don't know if every rink in the NA three is suitable to yeah. do this. The Owen Center, like when I think about the Owen Center, there's not a lot of verticality, right? Um. Because the AI camera that we have at Center Ice, the purpose of that, and again, that went live, I want to say the 15th or 16th of December, is for player safety. So that, and again, I'm not completely versed on all the specifics, but that is only accessible by the league themselves. So we have a computer tower and a monitor, similar to how hockey TV used to be. And we plug the, let's see, the, oh man, now I got to get this right. The AI camera to our tower, and then a Cat7 cable from our computer tower into our master box that has the goal line cameras as well. Okay. So 
the league has a remote view of our AI camera. And they they came with instructions. I'll give them that. Like they told us how to set it up, how to install the VidSwap app on the iPad, all this good stuff. And the whole purpose is, you know, the only issue is we had to measure how far out lengthwise and height it is from center ice to to determine the camera tilt. But it's a it's a complete uh, pan of the ice at all times. So the league is able to then review on their own time following a game, um, you know, if there's a questionable hit that needs to re be reviewed for suspension or, you know, if they miss someone ripping another kid's helmet off, okay, suspension or fine, whatever you want to call it. With the Owen Center, it'd be hard. I mean, Janesville's kind of the same rink because they don't have a lot of verticality and, and I saw how they set it up, but it would be, I think it'd be a little hard for you guys to to set all that up, but maybe the plan is to move it down to the NA3 next year. I, I have no clue. I think, yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point is like the technological capability of a building. So like for, for me at the Owen Center, I, like basically any building you go into nowadays, it has Wi-Fi. There's a guest mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. You know, the Mustangs have their own Wi-Fi. The Owen Center has their own Wi-Fi. The list goes on and on when it comes to wireless internet. I mean, let's be honest with you. But, like, yeah, this year coming in and last year, our last season of using the hockey TV, we have to hardline it in. A, because yeah. you have to have the upload, you have to have the download, the back and forth. And this is all – technology is completely out of my wheelhouse. And obviously – it, you know, we rewind a week to our, our, our first show that we did, and I forgot to hit record. And it was like, that is just technology being a mosquito. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I have one hard line that comes up to my press box. And I've had last year one instance that they firewalled it. And it snafued a whole broadcast because of technical mm. things that they talked about. And I'm like, I don't know. And then, yeah, the beginning of this year when they switched the streaming providers and did all that, we got our boxes. We had to uh, test them out, do all that stuff. It took me, yeah. it took me three bites at the apple to even get it to where our IT department or well, not our IT department, the IT people that handle the Owen Center and talking to the provider and then them two having to come together to which port they needed to open, which port they needed to close, which port yep. had to communicate both directions. I'm like, because the guy that I was talking to from the provider was like this, this, this. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. That was the same way. And I'm going to say this to the IT guy. And he's going to look at me like I have worms coming out of my ears because I'm going to like scramble this. Right. I mean, I don't know. And like, I know everything that I shouldn't say I know everything, but from where, where, where we plug that ethernet cable into the box, yeah, everything, quarter, yeah. everything from there to my microphone, I'm good with. Right. Everything from that ethernet cable into the wall that, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't want to know. 
that's a lot of information. That's a lot of yeah, like numbers and 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 dots and this and that. And I remember going back to getting our website oh. figured out. Um, you know, that was another fiasco. And I I learned then when you redirect a website, if you so much as have a lowercase t where there should be a capital T. Forget about it. It's not going to yeah. work. It's not even going to pretend it wants to work. It's going to lay down and be like, it's like taking your puppy on a five mile walk and you get three quarters of a mile into it and he's done. You're carrying that dog. It's yeah. like, man, we might as well print a newsletter and mail it out because it's going to get done quicker than this. But through it took me, well, it took myself and a an expert three days to figure out the 16 digit uh, redirect address type oh. for the coding. And I was like, man, I sure am glad that you knew what you were doing. And we ended up doing that. But looking along the lines of the technology of replay, video replay, goal review, uh, uh, they don't do offside at the null level, correct? No. And and see, that was, that was the other thing. I, I thought that they were going to, but yeah, it was not in the plans. So do you do you see the video review, and it doesn't matter if it's if it's uh, it, it, uh, soccer, uh, Major League Baseball, NHL, professional football, college football. Do you see that as adding an element that takes away human error? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, here's the thing. I I feel like, you know, and and. Yeah, I'm guilty of it too, right? But I feel like the referees and the officials, you know, regardless of the sport, they're under so much pressure to get every call right, right? Like, I mean, how often in a hockey game do you see a high stick not get called behind the play? And then you're up in arms. So, I mean, not just that, but in terms of the goal review, I feel that it allows the officials to to kind of just make sure that they're right. Um, you know, obviously an official never wants to be wrong, but it's going to happen because like you said, we're human. I mean, no one's ever going to be perfect at, you know, whatever they do. But I feel like in a way it kind of is necessary. I, I mean, you see like in soccer, the VAR, um, you know, in all the major leagues and, could that span down to lower leagues? I mean, Peoria City, right? They they have a USL League Two team. Could you see it spanning there? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I I could absolutely see it going there. But I think, regardless of it taking away human error, I think it's a positive um, to have all these avenues to just make sure that you get the call right and and allow. Even the, you know, the coaching staff, because if you don't have these goal reviews and, you know, a coach is convinced that, you know, the puck crossed the line and they're like, oh, no goal after convening or convening with the goal judge, whatever, well, then you're going to have the coach up at the front of the bench screaming his head off and saying, how could you not see that this is this, 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 and then all of a sudden you're shorthanded for two minutes for a non-sportsmanlike penalty. So I, I feel like there's a lot of instances where this is 
a positive, but I do agree that it is, does take away the human error aspect of things. And I don't, I hate to say it's a negative aspect of sports at any level and any sport, right? I mean, it's one of them things you're watching a game on TV uh, and, and we'll use baseball, for instance, there's a bang, bang play. And the coach comes out of the dugout and he's talking to, you know, the first base umpire, the home plate umpire, whatever. They convene, umpires go off, they grab their little switchboard thing, put on their headset, whatever. And Major League Baseball instituted the the time limit. I think they have like two and a half minutes. Yeah. Something along, something along the lines. I don't know the specifics of it. But then, you know, I've heard... I've heard people that are, you know, baseball fans that they put that into perspective of you're the pitcher and there's a bang bang play and the umpire says the 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 runner's safe and there goes your perfect game or there goes your no hitter. But then but then, uh, then yeah. and, and, and this is my rebuttal to that. Then why are we putting this much pressure on a player an athlete? that he should be worried about that. Yeah. They, let's be honest. They're getting paid to play a game at the professional yeah. level. They're paid to play a game. And I think as that trickles down into minor league baseball, college baseball, junior college baseball, high school baseball, and we'll, we'll even use pro hockey all the way down to even like probably a triple A or a double A program, you know, and you have a kid that's a goaltender and they have the running goaltenders have wins losses overtime shootout uh they you know credited for a shutout if there's no score but it's like i think it adds to that element of pressure that athletes at all these levels are thinking that they have to be perfect and i just think it throws it throws sand into the bearings and it doesn't allow them to actually just focus on the game at hand. Well, there goes the lights on me. Uh, <laughs> two seconds on that one, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, you know, um, there's always pressure now, right? Look at NIL. I mean, my goodness, y you know, we, I mean, at Bradley where I went to college in Peoria, we had an absolute amazing power forward slash center last year, ranked mast. Amazing. You know, whatever his NIL contract was is what it was. Um, and, you know, he was going to exercise his COVID eligibility and go another year. Well, then another school steps in Nebraska and says, Hey, we got more money. We're going to offer you more money. Come play with us. And he did. And it's like, okay, so now with NIL, right, you're taking a look at high school and AAU basketball. Let's just take that for an example. And kids are going to be pressured to perform in order to get, you know, the scholarships or the NIL money or this or that, you know. Oh, I only got, you know, $25,000 from, you know, uh, Tulane. And, you know, and then another kid on that team gets 100000 from UCLA. 
or whatever. And then the other kid's like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not as good, yada, yada, yada. And he's going to feel more pressure to perform in college better and transfer, 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 transfer. It's a mess. I mean, I, I completely see where you're coming from. And there's, I mean, a lot of factors now, right? Like I said, with the NIL and now with video review and all this good stuff to pressure kids to play at, in my opinion, unreasonable and unachievable, you know, pace. So, I mean, I, I can definitely hop on that train and agree with that. And yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't, I'm not against the video review stuff and I'm not to me, to me, you're burning the candle from both sides of the wick. So you're going to just burn it out quicker. Right. I mean, you get maybe, maybe at the professional level, like I've seen it, you know, but watching, I watch a lot of NHL games and a goal is scored and a guy was the width of his blade off sides. And Mm. Of course, there's repercussion if you if the coach reviews and gets it wrong, because yep. now now there's a two minute delay of game, uh, yeah. in the professional football they lose a timeout. Um, baseball, I mean, what do they do? Take the rosin bag from them, or I, I mean, I don't even know what they do in baseball because there's like no penalization in baseball for yeah. And then, because actually when they started that in baseball, I kind of thought, well, heck, you know, if a a manager really wanted to, any ticky-tack thing, he could go out and say, hey, I want you guys to have a peek. Hey, I want you guys to have a peek. But I think, honestly, if Major League Baseball were to come through and they were to say, hey, if they fail a challenge, their next offensive half of the inning, they start with one out. Yeah. Yeah you're going to really like stop and think before you do it. And then you, but that's the thing like with in in the NHL and professional football, they have, Oh, I've just been handed the rules of the baseball challenge. How many, how many podcasts have a research department sitting right next to them? Right. (laughs) So, so here, this is what it says. Oh, crap. Technology biting me on the hand right there. (laughs) If the first challenge is wrong, a team loses the ability to challenge any other play for the rest of the game. A manager has 20 seconds to determine if they would like to challenge a play or not, and they need to to inform the umpire by direct talking or a hand signal from the dugout. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, so... Um, NHL and professional football, they have video rooms. Mm, mm-hmm. So, like, and this the, this is just to my understanding, like in the NHL, the video room is in an undisclosed location. And they, they have communication systems with the coaches, but whoever sits in that video room, I don't think they can yeah. come until the game's over. But I'm not sure. But like baseball, we had the whole fiasco with the World Series a couple of years ago, right? Where they were saying mm-hmm. they were stealing signs and they had the eye watches and they were communicating through the eye watches. And mm. I mean, they've made Bring it now. The trash cans. They, yeah, the trash cans. and But they've made it now where 
like if in a sport, if somebody's wearing something on their wrist, they're going to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I mean, perfect example. And this to me is just, this is humorous because I know I, you know, during when hockey's not in session, my sport of choice, my guilty pleasure is dirt track racing. I love it. And the the Chili Bowl is a huge indoor event down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They banned drivers and any crew member from having a smartwatch. But here's why, because they don't have spotters. Mm. I mean, it's a, I don't want to say it's a tiny little track, but I mean, it's inside. So it's not like a two and a half mile, big asshole, right? But they, no smartwatches, crew members, drivers, no smartwatches. What they figured they were doing is drivers wearing the smartwatch and all they got to do is roll down the sleeve of their driving suit, flip their glove back, take a peek, and they have a spotter saying, you know, move up to the high groove or, you know, stay in the yeah. middle or you've got somebody, you know, right on your rear bumper. And for all intents and purpose, they're trying to keep the that particular sport as pure as possible and letting the athletes do their job and try to win the race by, excuse me, being coherent about what's going on around them. Mm. Yeah, no, I I think that's a, a real uh, smart decision. I mean, right, these kids, the reason they, you know, they make these teams, whether, you know, regardless of the level, is because of their ability, right? You know, they didn't make it because, you know, they um, – used this 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 to aid them i mean it's just it's them right i mean they they put in the work they put in you know the time the effort you know hockey right on and off the ice um and you know i i i think that's a really smart move i you know ability and you know just your your skill as a you know as a racer that's all it's going to get you the championship yeah and and, you know, you look at that and being in from being in professional hockey, coming down to junior hockey. And that's one thing like I can speak on and it, I can either say either educated or not. I don't know, but I, I've just simply made observations at the professional level. The, the, the world is your oyster. And at the junior level, where you still have the world as your oyster, you still have to consider that like a kid is, you're pulling him out of his like everyday home life perhaps, and he's going to be living with a family that he may not necessarily know. And I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, not only from the athletic standpoint, but that the mental area. Oh, yeah. And I think, again, that's, you know, talking about the pressure of things. And, uh, you know, I just, having two sons that played sports, you see a lot. You, you as a parent, you see more of that mental aspect. And I try and, you know, relay that into now being a broadcaster and seeing these young men. And a lot of them are, I mean, we've got, San Diego, California, Huntington Beach, California, Salt Lake City, Utah. They're a long, stinking way away from home. And, you know, you, you want to 
be positive and you want to talk to them like they're a human being because you don't want to, you know, hey, you know, you had four penalty minutes last night and you were a minus four. And then that kid's saying, well, hell, maybe I'll just go swimming in the river. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like there, there's so much outside influence for them to perform at a perfect pace. And then you get to it and it's like, man, they're human beings. Yeah. And they, yeah. I think that like a lot of times, and you, you probably see it in your building, you know, a kid goes three, four five games without a goal or without a point, And they're kind of down in the dumps, kind of coming in all poo pooey and everything else. And I actually, I'm not going to release a name, but had a kid, he, he just wasn't himself. You know, you, you see him around and you know how they act. And I was like, I, how's the, how are things going? He's like, oh, yeah, going good. I'm like, you sure? Like, you're not yourself. You're not smiling. You're just kind of here. And he's like, well, he goes, man, I, he goes, I just can't put the puck in the net. I go, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, like really at the end of the day, you're not going to come in and score every night. Right. Theoretically speaking. And I said, the one thing that you do good, you do really well is you create space for the guys that sit on the bench that wear the same uniform you wear. So go out and focus on that. Everything else will come trailing in to that. Next night he goes out, he does what he does good, bangs the body, play, creates space, opens up the ice a little bit. After the game, he was walking around with a little swagger, and he just kind of looked at me, smiled, gave me a thumbs up, and I said, you played, you just played carefree and loose, didn't he? He goes, yeah, I did. Said you feel good, don't you? He goes, yeah, I do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes that fatherly advice—I I guess you call it fatherly—my kids never listened to me when I told them stuff like that because I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, I—I I think that that's one thing is like with the review and, like you said, the NIL, the pressure to get into college, the pressure to go to college. It just—it—it it gets overwhelming and. You know, I, I think I think with the NIL and I you know, I, I don't know how a lot of that works in hockey. I know hockey is kind of an untraditional college sport because you have kid kids and they're not even kids, young men that go in and they're what, 21, 20, 20 21, 22 years old going in and playing college hockey. So they're a, a twenty one year old freshman. Twenty year old freshman and so they've, you know, they're they're a little bit behind in what's going on as far as the college scene goes, with classes and everything else. And then on top of that, you're playing a sport that's demanding. Fortunately, any of them that have played at the junior level, which I think anybody playing college hockey has played at the junior level in North America, but they're, you know, they're used to a schedule where they probably when they started they were going to school. And then, you know, off-ice stuff, on-ice practice, games. And I, I notice a lot of colleges, sometimes they play during the week, but a lot of it's Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday afternoon. So they, they kind of follow that same same uh, pathway that junior hockey does. Unless you're out on the out east in junior hockey. When you're out east junior hockey, they play at 11.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. 
Oh yeah. But he will uh he will be experiencing that next year at Northeastern, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but yeah, so now now that we've did our rant and rave about video review and replay and referees being right and wrong. So we had you and I have worked together in the broadcast yep. booth. We're changing gears, we're going back to the broadcasting aspect of it. But you've done uh how how many games have you guys played this year? Forty two. Forty two. So you so you've been in the broadcast booth flying solo forty two games. You did some um last year last I shouldn't say last year, last season when you were with me, I would turn over usually the last at least at least five minutes or so of a period. You would bang that out. You got some some uh, uh mic time with the Riverman. Do you still get nervous? No. Are you kidding? It's weird. It's weird. Like, I got nervous the... Okay. I was nervous the whole showcase. Um, First road broadcast. Uh, Well, first two road broadcasts because we're in New Mexico. Then El Paso, I was fine. And then... We came home, first home broadcast, first four home broadcasts, I was terrified. After that, no. Because for me, I um a little bit untraditional in how I broadcast the games. Um, yeah, I'm critical on myself, absolutely, like we all are, right? You know. Uh, there's a lot of things I can do better in this and that each game in and out, but I know my broadcast style, it's more so conversational rather than, you know, the older style of broadcast that I call it, you know, like the, uh, I mean, I, I, you call it formal, I guess, like a formal broadcast. I'm not really that type of person. Yeah. I'm more so informal. Like if I stumble over a word, like and it takes me three seconds to say a word, I will stop what I'm doing and literally on the broadcast go, well, it looks like I can't speak here in the second period. Like I, you won't see an NHL broadcaster do that. For me, that is just my style of broadcast. That's how I keep the nerves down. I it doesn't like I I would more so get upset rather than nervous because I know what I'm trying to say. And I know that I'm trying to say a different word, but it's not coming out. I'm saying, you know, spits it around the boards four times in a period. And I'm like, okay, like I seriously need to come up with another word. And that, I mean, that's, I don't know if it, it messes with me on the broadcast, but definitely more so upset than nervous. Yeah. I, so on on the level of nerves, so I'm extremely superstitious. You know this, yeah. Um, so like a, a Friday game day, like from the time I leave the house to go to the rink, I go. There's a Casey's gas station. I go get a yep. cup of coffee, and um, my wife will usually get like a pop or an iced coffee. Sometimes she'll get a hot drink. It just depends on her mood. She's not a creature of habit. I'm a extremely horrible creature habit especially on a game day and then we'll stop and get the coffee i go the same way through town to the rink 
home, all that jazz. But like I, we were, her and I were talking about it and we were coming down uh, just into the Illinois river Valley, right before you go over the bridge and cross the Illinois river. And I said, you know, I've done this. I don't know how, I don't know how many games I've done, whether it be doing color commentary or behind the mic. I don't know how many games I've done. I know it's probably well over a hundred and it may oh, be, yeah. and it may be even, it, it may be 200. I don't know. And to some guys, they're probably like 200. That's not shit. I've done 3000 or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, we were talking about, it. I was like, man, you know, when we hit that downhill right before you hit the bridge, like my nerves kick in just nuts. And then like we walk into the building, I get everything set up. I don't have time to think about what's about to happen. And I'm not talking like you're getting a shot at the doctor and you're terrified. <laughs> not like that, but like, I don't have the time to think about it because, you know, I'm talking to the boys or I'm talking to Blake or, you know, trying to figure something out. Right. And like, when get everything set up for the scorekeepers, turn the scoreboard on, get it all set up, ready to rock and roll for warmups and everything, like they hit again. Cause that's like when you hit that, like the sand pit when you're driving down a mountain and you see that sand yeah. pit, you're kind of getting in there to that, like, oh, it's do or die now. And then. They, you know, they take the ice for warmups and everything calms down again because I got a couple things I got to do, starting line, post the starting lineups, do some video, stuff like that. But man, I tell you, and this is the first weekend in a long time that I hadn't gone down to open the door when the boys come off for warmups. Just because I was like doing like eight different things, whether they needed to be yeah. done, I was doing them. And like, I like didn't even have time to process. And then before I knew it, there was like two guys left on the ice. I'm like, shit. And then yeah. like those nerves just, I mean, they're like a bottle Shot. for me. And it's usually not like crap. I want to go home or I want to hide. It's just that like you, yeah, I don't want to make a mistake or I don't want to trip over a word or, and I mean, luckily for us, and it's always been this way for me. I don't know how many people are watching. I don't care how many people are watching, but like, yeah. And then as soon as I go in with my pleasant good evening and welcome to the Owen Center here in lovely Peoria, Illinois, then it's just like, yeah, it's like I just inhaled a big old like with a lavender and I'm kicked back, relaxing, man. And then, you know, I do my thing, but yeah, I mean, that was one thing. Like I, I've never known how many people are watching. I've never really cared how many people are watching. And for me, the coolest thing was, I think it was last year, the lady from St. Louis was ribbing you and I on Twitter. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. looked up and she's like, I, you know, I basically, she said, we suck. Yeah. And I, I got on my Twitter and I just commented back. Thank you. What I, it was a snarky comeback. I was it like, was. thank you for your kind words. If you can help us improve, please give advice or whatever. And then she blocked me, blocked you, and blocked the Mustangs. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, 
that for me that was kind of the moment that it's like i've arrived <laughs> yeah like an opposing fan doesn't like me and then i yeah. had i had one more last year last season and it was a lady from Wausau. And she got on the Mustangs Facebook to tell the Mustangs how bad I was and I was terrible and I like couldn't do anything right. And I'll be honest with you, I make in a 60-minute hockey game, I'm on 10 minutes before and up to about 10 minutes after do pregame, postgame, and then That's probably give or take, sometimes. Sometimes my post depends on how the game goes in my post game. Um, and then probably what, like six minutes at the tail end of two intermissions. So that time I'm on the air and I always, I know when I make a mistake because like, I know it. And I don't know. I don't know if you go back and watch your games. So, cause I, I go Unfortunately. back. So I, I go back and I got to, I cut highlights and do all that. See, I can't, but I was like, when I go back and I watch, and I see where I stumble and I realize watching it back how much you don't get on the broadcast. Yeah. Like, and I know that I stunt and I do it. It's a lot more for me when there's a scramble in front of the net because I get like super excited. Me too. You know, it's like a super exciting play and you're like, Oh, and yeah, I, I notice it way more then than if it's just, you know, generalized play going on out on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there. I mean, um, haven't had a fan yet, you know, do any of the, you know, oh, you suck type of thing. Uh, because, I mean, most of the teams travel a broadcaster. The only teams that don't are El Paso, Lone Star, and Colorado. The rest of the teams will travel a broadcaster. So, I'll have my good buddy Jason Thomas about 10 feet from me for tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday's contests, which yeah, it's always a good time with him. But, yeah, I mean, for me, I do. I, I do watch my broadcasts back. Now, here here was the thing, and I know you had to deal with this in the NA3. The teams got a certain amount of free NA TV accounts. Mm-hmm. None of our front office received a single one of them. Oh, wow. Because we have scouts. So uh, our coach gets one, our assistant coach gets one, and then our scouts. We have, I think we have four scouts. So that, that picks up the six that we got, I think it was. So I don't have the ability to cut highlights. We don't we don't post highlights this year. It just doesn't happen. Um, if I really wanted to, could I? Yeah. Does that add to... My post game stuff, yeah, because it'd be hella time consuming. I mean, I would have to, because on a MacBook, it's really weird. So when I try to record something on a on like a streaming software or a you know audio broadcast software, or whatever, it records the desktop audio and the audio of my room or whatever. And I've tried changing the settings, I can't get it. So what I do is I go on my Windows computer at home pull up my streaming software, select my display source, and I can cut highlights that way. But, I mean, I would be up until 1, one thirty in the morning cutting, uploading, because I got to write a post-game recap afterwards as well. Yeah. 
Um, and especially for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like this week is. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, we just chose not to, yeah, I, I told my, my boss, I said, there's no way. I mean, it's just not, not feasible. And, and he was cool with it because we, I mean, I get the post game recaps out. Okay. So for, for game one, I get it out. Game ends at about 9.45. I write it when I get home. I'll get it out by quarter to midnight, midnight, and then I post it because um, I live 30 minutes away. So, I mean, that just adds to the adds to the, uh, to the time that it takes. Um, but, yeah, I uh, for us, it's, it's not bad. I, the fans are pretty nice. Yeah. At least Odessa fans, they're really nice. And and that is one thing, like you mentioned with, with cutting highlights and all that. It's it's a time consuming gig. And I know you you had done it for me a couple times. I, I still have the 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 black leather notebook thing. Nice. And so my amazing wife, she usually sits to my left. And like she's writing down the saves and the time on the, the 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 clock. And you know, if I announce a big hit, she'll write it down. And then even like, you know, if it's a good block shot and maybe not necessarily I don't see it, she'll write that down. So like there's a lot this past weekend. Let's see, she wrote down Friday night, uh a dozen really good saves. And there were some of them that when I went back and actually watched them to cut them, I was like, man, I didn't give that save the credit it deserved. Yeah. And I think all in all with both games, there there were uh, 12, 12 saves from Friday that were really, you know, the highlight-worthy saves. And then on uh, Saturday's game, there was like 15. Wow. And then now she's gotten to the point where, like, there's a, a – the pucks in our end and there's a really good defensive play and she'll write the time down and she'll just put like good stick or good D or whatever. And it's like, man, I go back. I'm like, this just adds an element that like, you know, yeah. Cause let's be honest at the, at the junior level, one of the goals is if these kids want to play in college, you want to shed the most positive light on this kid, you can shed on them. So if you've got that little extra footage, and if you're, if they're like, Hey, you know, do you remember this? Be like, yeah. And they're like, I have, you know, I have, I have the video clipped. If you want me, I more than happy to send it to you. What do you think as being the guy behind the microphone? What's one of the things that on a game day task that you're like, uh, it's time to do that again, that you would just like wish that you could like assign it to somebody else. Oh man, um, <laughs> well, now I'm going through my game day and what I'm gonna have to do tomorrow. Writing my broadcast intro is easy. I love doing that because um, it's a it's an easy way to refresh my mind on what happened the week before, um, or the game before. So I that helps me out big time. Um, oh yeah, updating my media guide. Oh, like. You know, mine right now because of the trade deadline and and player movement and what have you. Speaking of which, I got to add a kid on there that reminded me. Um, 
it's 25 pages long and it has every stat that that you could need you know our record when we're scoring first our power play percentage our power play breakdown per game um our, our penalty kill breakdown our you know where we rank in shorthanded goals for short shorthanded goals against um what our record is on saturdays what our record is on february uh what's our record when we allow two plus power play goals against uh you know just all this detail that you know i have to go through and and i've gotten it down to a science to where i have a, a structure of how i do it and it takes me about half an hour i would say to just update everything because you got to add a game played to to the player's personal stat and then if they got a point if they got a minus plus whatever um but that is tedious to to keep track of but to say that and again shout out to guy kirenzo the amarillo broadcaster who created the actual template for it for his team and then sent me the template it is so helpful especially during intermission reports um when you need a time filler and you're like the jackalopes are i think i actually know the stat off the top of my head oh 15 and 3 when trailing after two periods okay like you know you can pull that stat off and and then work that into your broadcast and say well you know, not a lot of those were, were one-goal deficits, so the Jacks right now are in a, in a spot to break that streak and, you know, just need one to tie, and then after that, it's a brand-new hockey game. And then, you know, you work it in, right? So I, I, it's tedious, but definitely necessary. Yeah, there's, there's always room in the biscuit to put a little extra butter. I mean, that's one thing with, like, we talked about way back at the beginning, the preparation part, like... I I didn't know when I first came in and was interning with the Riverman, I didn't know that like I thought like I would just show up and there'd be all this stuff for me, right? And there was. I would show up and there'd be stuff, but it would be stuff that I constructed on my own. And that's not taking anything away from a broadcaster at the professional level. That's just making your material so when it comes to you, you can you can give that material out to whoever's listening and it's it's either gonna be information for them or they're gonna be like, already knew. Yeah. But anything you can have, like I said, you know, excuse me, you can always you can always fit a little more butter on a biscuit. So having that work, I would say for me, well, where I don't have a media guide per se, I do have a game note page that I make up and I used to handwrite it and my handwriting sucks and I'm getting mm. old. So now um, when I go into pregame, I've got, I've got cheaters that I, so I can, like read my game notes because I don't want to make the print thick because I you know two sided stuff when you're doing broadcasting can sometimes be a pain in the pain in the butt but yeah there so there's right. a, a game specific game note page that I then it, I'm the only one that sees it unless someone steals it from me or they pick it up and read it off my table so yeah things are abbreviated and stuff like that so it's like made for me to decipher but you. Yeah. But you're right, it is. It takes me um, 
probably 20, 25 minutes to go through and write everything up. Well, then what I've done last year, last season and this season, I have a uh, a side-by-side roster sheet. It's a two it's a two-sided thing and I we put them down at the front door so people come in they have both rosters and then they can flip it over on the back side is um I've actually constructed it a little bit different. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about cuz you Oh yeah. I used to get one for you and I um but I've changed it up this year and so now on the the reverse side of the rosters, I have the stable notes, which is series so far, special teams breakdown, uh, shooting gallery, and lighting the lamp. So, you know, I, I talk about the series, um, each each team's special teams, and um, my wife has told me that the other teams, when they're when they come in and, like, you know, they're going to pay their way in, and like the wife will pick it up and she'll they're like impressed that I actually put information about the visiting team in there. I think it's good information to know no matter who you're cheering for, right? Oh, and, I agree. And then yeah, like uh shooting gallery is just kind of talking about shots on goal, uh record when you have X amount of shots on goal, whatever. Uh lighting the lamp obviously is about goal scoring. And then I have a section which you're probably familiar with. It was a stable notes last year but I have a section I now call from the bench and it's just, it's those quick little one hitter niblets. Like my one from this past Saturday is uh, Mustangs forward. And in Marceau has a goal in four straight dating back to 120 at Wausau. It's the third time this season. The Alpena Michigan native has a point streak of three or more games. So I just, that, you know, a, that's something I'm going to talk about on the air, but B, if you're coming to the game, you kind of know, okay, so this kid's doing this or, uh you know when, on him yeah when when peoria allows four or more goals they're like uh four twenty two and four right i mean it's stuff like that i think that when you go in as a fan or a parent and it's like seeing you you all right <laughs> i think i heard my I think I heard my back crack about four times leaning back right there. But, <laughs> but you know, to me, like doing stuff like that and talking about them, it's like a kid like ended up with their name in the paper when they're like 10 for like a coloring contest or a, a, a young author's award. You're like, it's cool as hell. And going back to like the Riverman, and I kind of learned some of this stuff from the legendary Dave Aminian. Oh, yeah. The beat writer for the Riverman. And he was he has a section at the end of every game write up. It's called River Reading, and I actually learned from Dave about this. Like the what do I think? What do you call him? A three dot hitter or something? Yeah, yeah, a three dot note. But I kind of learn learn the art and emulate his thing there. But he did that River Readings thing, and in my three and two thirds of a season with the river. And I, I was in river readings like three times, maybe four. And it was like, it was always kind of cool. So I'd always like see it online and I'd like screenshot it to keep it because that's, that's where we're at in technology is we just screenshot it and save it. But, but yeah, I always think it's kind of cool that like, if you know, a kid, if their folks only get to make it to four or five, six games a year, because they live, 
15 hours away and their folks come and they pick this sheet up and they flip it over and they see their son's name on it. It's pretty cool, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, Jason used to do one of those things. I forgot what the title of it was, but it would always go in the puck presses. And the puck presses you could pick up at, you know, at the beginning of the game in the front. Um, I believe, was it just for season ticket holders or was that? Um, so season holders, it was part of their season ticket package. They got the puck press with all the little ingredients inside of it. Um, but as a fan, if you were not a season ticket holder and you, it was like a buck. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, it's really cool. Cause Jason would always in, include his, I mean, I think it's called the Riverman game notes. I mean, it would have like six sections that just had like little tidbits on, on players. Um, and, and I mean, even at the professional level, right? Some of these guys are coming from out of the country. Sure. So if, if they if their parents fly in for you know a weekend and it might be the only weekend they come in and they see their kid's name in a professional hockey league, I mean that is just insane. Um, you know, I, I again, even at the junior level, that is something to behold and, and be proud of. Um so yeah, I, I think that's super cool. Yeah, and that's one thing I think like every broadcaster does maybe different is their game note preparation and how they oh, yeah. how they store that information. Like when I was at the showcase, I just kept everything on my iPad because, well, a, the printer I have would not travel well, and I'm not gonna buy and I'm not gonna buy a portable printer because the heat conductive paper is ridiculously expensive. I think for paper, but so yeah, I mean, and I'm a I'm a paper in front of me kind of guy. So yeah, I, I just print this off. I have it. And if there's anything like that comes to my mind, I can just scribble it down real quick and put it on that piece of paper and go from there and use that. But that is one like I don't know. I kind of when I was with the Riverman and broad traveling broadcasters would come in and you kind of see how they did their stuff and you just kind of hmm, that's kind of neat. And then you going back and preparing for a game. I remember what this guy did. So I kind of just put a little bit of that in there. And then I remember what this guy did. And I kind of put a little bit of that in there. And you know how they they word it and they custom tailor it to how they want it to look. And yeah, they know where to look. And that's why like this year, you and I, I talked to you. We talked uh, via text at the beginning of the year. And I had the little spiral notebook that I always used to use that. And I gave you one and kind of, you know, yep you kind of developed your system and that, but I actually switched to a actual like broadcaster's scorebook this year. Okay. Yeah. And I like it. I mean, it's a little different. So it's got the, it's got the roster side and you can see all That's my little, nice. my little color coded tabs here, but then it has your actual game breakdown right there. I don't know if you can see that through my back. No, that one. Yeah. It did. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it actually has, where if you you have visibility to your recording, you can put the okay. record, you can put the recording time down so you can revert back for audio highlights or anything like that. It's really kind oh, of okay. Um, but yeah, like the biggest thing for me is like the power play tracker because I track that and it's got the little power play tracker in the corner for home and visitor, three star shootout. I mean shootout the shootout tracker I've got to use one time because we've only gone to shootout once this year. 
But I mean, yeah, the shots on goal by a period, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I I was like, man, I don't know if I want to spend the money because I may not like it. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up liking it a lot. And because I like how it's set for the scoring on one side and the penalties on the other side and that. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's one of them things. And again, like I like I said in the beginning, I think I I'm definitely gonna try and get other broadcasters on here because I mean mm. you are a for lack of better terminology, we're both professional broadcasters. You do it at the full-time staff member level. I do it at the part-time level, but we're both a professional broadcaster. And I've got uh, got a couple ideas up my sleeve, and hopefully we'll be able to make those come to fruition. We're going to get hopefully get some broadcasters in here from other realms of sport and kind of see how they how they conduct their business and how much different it is doing their lane and is oh, yeah. to our lane because I mean every every broadcaster is different, and then again too, um, we'll try and get some athletes on here, kind of see, talk to them, figure things out, and we'll figure it out as we go. But that's about all the time we have for episode one point one. As if you remember back to the beginning, I'd like to thank everybody for listening or watching, however you viewed our podcast. But until the next time for Mr. Brandon Luisi, I'm Josh Rebin. Thank you for partaking in chatter from the cheap seats. There's nothing-